Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Today, I want to speak to you on this subject, the ransom. The ransom. Last Sunday, we examined Jesus' experience in Gethsemane. We found that the Lord Jesus, the Son of the living God, was deeply distressed and troubled and even grieved to the point of death. Uh, that, that stress that he was under was so heavy that his capillaries began to burst and blood began to ooze out the pores of his skin. Three times he got alone with the Father, and he asked the Father to take this cup from him. But three times he ended that prayer by saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. What was in that symbolic cup that caused the Lord Jesus to shrink back in such horror? I believe that when Jesus looked into that cup, he saw the horrid, rotten sins of humanity. He saw our blasphemies. He saw our immoralities, our perversions. He saw our greed, our rebellion, our profanity. He saw multiple abortions, abuse, selfishness, pride. And all of that stuff caused the Lord Jesus to shrink back in horror because he knew, he knew that if God the Father did not remove that cup from him, he would have to bear that sin on Calvary's cross. But even beyond bearing the sin, Jesus knew that if he did become sin for us, that God the Father who pours out his wrath against all unrighteousness, would have to pour out his wrath on the only begotten Son of the living God, the omnipotent one. By the way, it was the Father's will that the Lord Jesus take that cup and drink it down to the last drop. That night, that very night, a mob led by the traitor Judas came to Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. It was quite a mob. Roman soldiers, temple police, religious zealots, Judas himself, and those stragglers who just like to be a part of a crowd. They all came and they arrested the Lord Jesus and for several hours, Jesus was subjected to four trials, unjust trials, to endless mockery, to a brutal beating, to mob hysteria, to the disciples' desert desertion, to Peter's own denial of him, and to a crown of thorns being pressed down upon his head. And then... Pilate sentenced him to die on the cross. The most painful, the most horrendous way for a person to die in the first century was death on a cross. And that brings us 
from Gethsemane to Golgotha. I want you to look at your Bible in chapter 15 of Mark's gospel, beginning with verse 22. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. It sounds frightening, doesn't it? But if you've been to Israel, you've stepped outside the gates of Jerusalem, and you've gone to that place called Golgotha, that place that I promise you that the hill looks like a skull. And it was on that place that the Lord Jesus was brutally crucified. Verse 23, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This was a a sedative, a a, a painkiller to help the person being crucified. But the Lord Jesus refused it. You see, he was doing the Father's business. He was going to the cross for a purpose. And he didn't want his mind to be numbed by any kind of sedative or painkiller. He wanted to have full use of his faculties as he did exactly what God sent him to this planet to do. And then verse 24. And they crucified him. It's amazing to me how the the four gospel writers do not go into great detail about the, the sound of the hammer coming down on the spikes. They, they sort of overlook the, the pain that Jesus must have experienced when those spikes tore through his hands and tore through his feet. They don't tell us about the the time that the cross was dropped into its hole. And it crushed Jesus with severe pain. They don't go into detail about the great thirst that Jesus experienced. About the flies that that hovered around his blood-stained body. Oh, what our Savior went through for us. Mark simply says, and they crucified him. And then it says, and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. Jesus only had one thing left in this life. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a donkey. He didn't have anything except the clothes on his back. And now the soldiers are gambling for his garments. It was the third hour when they crucified him. By the way, that's the time of the morning sacrifice. The third hour, 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus has had no sleep He's gone through horrendous treatment. His body must have been absolutely devastated. 
He'd been beaten to within an inch of his life with a Roman scourge. And now he hung between heaven and earth. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. I believe Pilate did that out of spite against the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, Pilate's wife came to him and said, Have nothing to do with that man. I had a dream about him. He's a righteous man. But Pilate was more afraid of Caesar than he was Christ. And he pronounced sentence upon the Lord Jesus. But he told the soldiers, you put the sign over his cross and you make sure it says in three different languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, that it said, the king of the Jews. And the, the scribes and Pharisees came to him and said, you've got to change that sign. He said, no way, I'm not changing it. And I tell you, it is poetic justice that that sign rested on the cross of the dear Lamb of God. Verse 27, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Why, he was a friend of sinners. And he died with sinners, one on the right and one on the left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. It's amazing how many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in these six hours on the cross. Verse 29, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Oh, how foolish they were. Jesus was not talking about destroying the literal temple and rebuilding the literal temple in three days. He was talking about the temple of his body, that he would be resurrected from the dead in three days. But even if that were not so, if Jesus had said that he was going to tear down the literal temple that they had spent years building and still were not finished. If he had said he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, what problem could that be for one who spoke the entire universe into existence in, in six days? Oh, nothing is impossible with him. So they mock him. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Little did they know that if he came down from the cross, he couldn't save anyone. Verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the Messiah, the one who claims to be Messiah, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him were also insulting. Why, these scribes and Pharisees, these supposed experts in the Jewish law, those who knew the moral law, and they couldn't find one thing, one 
single thing that Jesus did wrong against the law. And yet they insult him. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. Oh, my friend, he's not coming down from the cross. He's going to die on the cross. But I'll tell you what, in three days he will be raised again. These religious leaders, they should have recognized their Messiah. They should have gone to the foot of the cross and bowed before him and worshipped him. But instead they mock him. Like so many in our world do today. Verse 33, when the sixth hour came, that's noon. So Jesus had been on the cross for three hours. Nine o'clock, when the morning sacrifice was offered down, it was noon, three hours. When the sixth hour came, look, look at this, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. From noon to three o'clock, a supernatural darkness fell over the land of Israel from, from Dan to Beersheba. It was a cosmic darkness shrouding the dear Son of God in darkness as He suffered for our sins. At the ninth hour, three o'clock, by the way, that's when they offered the evening sacrifice. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Well, he's not talking to Elijah. This is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus did not call God his Father. He just called him God. For the first time in all creation, for all of eternity, there was an alienation between God the Father and God the Son. Someone, verse 36, ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Elijah's not coming, dear friend, I tell you. He wasn't coming then. Elijah was in heaven Elijah had been with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he and Moses, and they talked about this moment, this very moment when the Son of God would die for the sins of the world. They talked about his exodus. And after that Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah went back to heaven. Verse 37, then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Oh, dear friend, listen. 
It's so unusual for a person being crucified to die this quick. They would linger for hours, maybe even for days. But Jesus died within a a six-hour frame of time. And the Bible says, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. Only the high priest could go beyond that veil once a year on the day of atonement. And God the Father took that precious thick veil and turned it into a rag when the Son of God died for the sins of the world. I've often asked myself, How did they explain that away? How? It wasn't torn in two from bottom to top. It was torn in two from top to bottom. It was only the hand of God. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last the way he died, the way he was sovereign over his own death. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. Seven times. And Mark only records the fourth time that he spoke. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By the way, that is a direct quote from Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before this moment. The psalmist wrote, My God, my God, verses 1 and 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I have no rest. This is the Son of God. This is the omnipotent one writhing in both physical and spiritual pain that we couldn't begin to understand in a million years. When we hear this mournful prayer from the cross, we get a tiny glimpse of why Jesus shrunk away from that cup with such horror in the Garden of Gethsemane. Darkness had enveloped the land. He was suffering alone, all alone. He was forsaken by the Father. Now, understand this. It's not that he felt forsaken. Feeling got nothing to do with it. He was forsaken by the Father. He was alienated from God the Father. Jesus who said, I and the Father am one, is now separated from the Heavenly Father for the first time ever. Why did Jesus have to face this horrible, shocking alienation from his father. Had the father not spoken these words over him at his son's baptism? You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. What had changed? 
Why the alienation? Why the forsaking of his son at this moment? Listen, shrouded in darkness, Jesus was at this very moment bearing the sin of the world. And he was enduring wave after wave of the wrath of Almighty Holy God against that sin that he was dying for. MacArthur summed up what Jesus was facing. I quote, he said, It was a punishment so severe that a mortal man could spend all of eternity in the torments of hell, and still he would not have begun to exhaust the divine wrath that was reaped on Christ that was heaped on Christ that day on the cross. You see, my friend, if you reject Jesus, you will go to hell and you will pay for all of eternity for your sins. But you only have to pay for your sins. You don't have to pay for the world's sins. I I can't imagine... What the dear Lamb of God was going through as he was taking the sin of the world away from the the sinners. The Lord himself stated that this was uh, the reason that he was incarnated into the human race. In, In Mark 10, 45, the key verse in all the gospel, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Now listen, Listen, to give his life a ransom for many. Here's the reason that God had forsaken him. At this very moment, he was giving his life a ransom for many. What does that mean? I I want you to think of a, a mom and dad who have a, a cherished daughter. They love this daughter. She is the apple of their eye. And yet, there comes a moment in time when some evil person takes this little girl and kidnaps her. The mom and dad are frantic. They would do anything within their power to bring their little girl back safely. And the kidnapper writes out a cryptic note and demands so much money in order for this father and mother to get their little girl back safely. And I'll tell you, they would scrounge everything they had. They would sell everything they had to get their little daughter back. That price that they would have to pay is called a ransom. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You know what you could do? Whether you're watching live stream, whether you're watching our television ministry, whether you're in this building, Where Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, give my life a ransom for many. You could write your name above that, that word, many. 
So this brings up three questions. Three very pertinent questions. When we consider the ransom. Number one, why was it necessary? God created you in your mother's womb. He created you to love Him, to serve Him, and to worship Him. Yet something tragic happened. You were kidnapped by the evil one. You were lured into a life of sin and alienation from God. And here's how the Bible describes the predicament that you're in. And believe me, my friend, you may think you've got the world by the tail. I tell you, friend, if you're not saved today, if you've never received Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior, you're in a predicament of the biggest kind you can ever imagine. You are alienated and forsaken by God. In John 8:34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. In Romans 3:23, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 6:23, Paul wrote, For the wages of sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death, separated from God, forsaken by God for all of eternity, turned into the very bowels of a burning hell to live there for the rest of eternity. That's the predicament you're in if you've rejected Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know what sin does? Sin orders one not to pray and they don't pray. You see, you're in bondage to sin. Sin orders one not to read the Bible, they don't read the Bible. Sin orders one, don't go to church, you don't go to church. Sin orders one, don't you dare seek the Lord with all your heart, and therefore you don't seek the Lord with all your heart. Face it, sin has the entire human race in its icy grip. We can't generate the ransom price. No matter what you do, no matter who you go to, you will never be able to generate a ransom price that you could offer to the God of heaven to free yourself from this sinful bondage that you're in. So what shall we do? So we've looked at why it is necessary. Second question, who can pay it? Who can pay the ransom price to set you free from sin's bondage and to provide forgiveness for all your sins? Now, we're talking about a serious payment to get us out of sin's penalty, sin's power, and sin's presence. There is nothing, listen my friend, there is nothing you can do to wriggle yourself free. Nothing. If the ransom is not paid, then you face spiritual death, alienation from God, forsaking, forsaken by God for all of eternity. Now, let me tell you this to you. Jesus is your only hope. I'll tell you, Buddha can't provide that ransom price. I'll tell you, dear friend, Mohammed cannot provide that ransom price. Your religion cannot provide that ransom price. Your supposed goodness can't provide that ransom price. 
If Jesus did not pay your ransom price, you are doomed. He's our only hope. And the Bible says, and I love this, that Jesus came to pay our ransom on the cross of Calvary. He was forsaken by God in order that you might not be forsaken by God. He died in our place in order to release you from sin's bondage. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, the Bible says, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, For there is one God, there is only one God, and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. That's the ransom price. That's the price of the ransom, the blood of Jesus, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Do you get the picture? God loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son on the cross of Calvary in order to pay your ransom price and to redeem you from sin's oppression. Oh, what a price he paid. So we're looking at the ransom today. We've asked the question, why was it necessary? The Bible presents our predicament in living technicolor. We've addressed the question, who could pay it? Who can possibly pay the ransom? Only Jesus can pay it. Now, here's the final question. Number three, to whom was it paid? We know why it was necessary. We know who could pay it. But here's the $64,000 question. Who received the ransom price of Jesus' sacrifice and his precious blood? Some have suggested that this glorious ransom was paid to Satan. Perish that thought. That is pure heresy. I want to tell you, folks, back in the early days of the church, there were some preachers who believed that this ransom was paid to Satan. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And don't miss this now. Jesus offered his body and blood as a ransom to God the Father. God was the one who was offended by our sinful lifestyles. God was offended by our rejection of him, by our rebellion against him. 
He is infinitely holy and perfectly just. I'll tell you what God cannot do. God cannot just overlook sin and turn his head the other way and say, that's okay. That's not going to happen. God the Father required a ransom for our redemption. And Jesus paid that steep price when he assumed our sin and guilt and when he endured God's wrath that targets all unrighteousness. Now let me tell you, when Jesus offered his body and his blood on the cross of Calvary, the father was completely satisfied with the ransom that his son offered. In Romans 3.25, the Bible says, whom God displayed publicly, speaking of Jesus, as a propitiation in his blood through faith. I remember one time I was preaching just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and they had a, they had a, a sign language person, a minister to the deaf. And I used this word propitiation, and she looked at me so strangely. She didn't know what to do with that whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. First John 2, 2, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And we see that word propitiation and we say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, it emphasizes the satisfaction of God's wrath and justice and holiness, and only Jesus could do that. Once Jesus offered the ransom and the Father received it, his alienation was ended once and for all. Once and for all. After this time of intense suffering on the cross, Jesus made three more statements. Jesus said first, I thirst. And they gave him a sponge with, with, with sour wine, with vinegar. And Jesus took that sour wine, that vinegar, and he drank it. And he coated his throat because he was about to make a statement of triumphant victory. The very next thing Jesus said, the sixth word from the cross was this. It is finished. To tell us die. Do you know what it means? It means paid in full. Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. He offered his blood as a ransom for your sorry sins. And Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, paid every price of every sin that you've ever committed in your life until he could say until the son of God could say it is finished paid in full glory to God and then the last thing Jesus said from the cross number seven father into your hands I commit my spirit 
Let me tell you, dear friend, Jesus was sovereign over his own death. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I'll lay it down and I'll pick it back up again. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has the authority to lay down his life. And he has the authority to bring his life back from the grave again. I tell you, dear friend, that's my Jesus. Oh, the ransom. Why was it necessary? Who could pay it? And to whom was it paid? Here's the truth I want you to see. I don't want you to ever forget this. Jesus paid the ransom so you can be redeemed. You can I, look. You say, Pastor, I, 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 I'm I'm in a mess. Sin has its icy grip on me. Pastor, I'm addicted. Pastor, I'm a pornographer. Pastor, I've had an abortion. Pastor, I'm filled with anger. I'm a liar. I'm filled with jealousy. Pastor, I am an absolute mess. Are you telling me, Pastor, that Jesus can redeem me? And I tell you on the authority of God's Word, He can. He can because he paid your ransom with his blood. And he can forgive your sin. He can set you free. And you can live in victory for the rest of your life. Jesus paid the ransom so you can be redeemed. What a shame it would be for you to remain locked in the prison of your own sin and face the threat of being eternally forsaken by God. What a shame it would be. Don't ignore the fact that Jesus has paid the ransom so you can be redeemed. Turn from your sin today and receive Jesus by faith. I'll tell you, he'll set you free and he'll forgive you. Will you come to him today? Listen, there was one of those thieves on the cross. And he turned to Jesus. He'd been insulting him too. He turned to Jesus. Something clicked in his mind. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He, would, he never was able to go to church. He was never able to give a tithe. He was never able to make amends to the people he had hurt. But the Son of God, shedding his precious blood on the cross, paying the ransom price for this thief, was able to say to him, I will redeem you and I'll take you to heaven with me today. That can be you. It can be you. Oh, come to Jesus today. Put your faith and trust in him. But many of you in this room, you've already received your redemption. You've placed your faith in Jesus. 
And I got good news for you. God will never forsake you in this life or the next one. Now that you've experienced the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus has provided, you belong to him. I just want you to understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What is that price? It's the precious blood of Jesus. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Oh, if you're a believer here today, I don't want you to think for one moment that you're the master of your own fate. I don't want you to think for a moment that you have the right to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. My friend, you belong to Jesus. He bought you with his blood. He is your absolute Lord. You should submit to him every single day that you live. You You should love him, serve him, worship him. Don't waste your life. Oh, for God's sake, don't waste your life. Bring glory to Jesus. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're a a young person, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, bring glory to Jesus through your life. Give him your very best. Honor him. Serve him. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to ask our staff to come. Joshua, you and the team come. It would be absolutely high treason against heaven for us to look at what we've looked at today and not give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And I'm going to invite you Many of you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come to one of our staff members and just tell them today, I want to be saved. Jesus has paid my ransom price. I want him to redeem me. You come. And many of you in this building are believers. And I tell you, you belong to him. And I want to ask you if you will come to this altar and bow your knee before the king. And would you just say to your king, the Lord Jesus, Lord, help me to live for you. Help me to glorify you and honor you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that there would be a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in this room. I pray souls will be saved. Those who are spiritually dead would be made alive in Christ. 
Those who are believers who are not living for you right now, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would convict them that you paid such a high price and they offer you such a low level of commitment. Oh, God, convict them and bring their hearts to brokenness and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship you, God.